Hebrews chapter 12. It says, therefore, so that's a very important word. If it says, therefore, we've got to figure out what it's there for, right? All right, that's deep theology, I know. Since we are surrounded, I'm not surrounded, we are surrounded, okay? By such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us, and let us, again, not me, let us, plural, run with perseverance the race marked out for us, again, plural, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, shame, sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, consider him, Jesus, that's who they're talking about, that endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, your word, Lord, your message, Lord, hide me, Lord. Lord, make me just go away, Lord. Lord, there are many that will stumble over me. My wisdom, my words, your words, your message, your wisdom, Lord. Do it today, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Praise the Lord. So the title of my message is The Faith Race. The Faith Race. And I think when we hear this passage in Hebrews, it's very easy to think of a race... And some may initially think of a sprint or a marathon. You know, maybe you may have been a 100-meter race that you're thinking of, or maybe a mile or maybe a marathon. Um, But a lot of times we have a picture of a clean track and a clean race. And definitely that's part of the conversation here, but there's a lot more here. Paul uses this example for faith in several places in the Bible. If you read in 1 Corinthians 8, 20, or 9.24, it says, Do you know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who compete, competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last. But we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone who is running aimlessly, and I do not fight like a boxer who is shadow boxing. So you see, he's using this example. Paul was around uh, Corinth a lot. And in Corinth, they had a, um, uh, a set of games that were very similar to our Pan Am games that we had. They were the off years of the Olympic Games, and so they hosted that. So he was there around the gymnasiums, and and the Greek-Roman culture was very well known for their Olympics and very well known for their athletes that were very well disciplined in everything they did to compete at the highest level. And so we have a very similar uh, type of structure in the United States where athletes train to win prizes that are really temporary. And so he's using an example of an Olympic athlete and how hard they train. And he's saying we need to think like they do when it comes to spiritual things. Like our walk with the Lord should be thought of very similar to the way they treat their, their physical games. That's how spiritual we need to think about our walk with the Lord. And he said... Um, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, he says, I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, not only to me, but also to those who have longed for his appearing. So the ones who have longed for His appearing, their focus is on His appearing, they have a reward 
Lord that is building up that they're ready to receive. And did you notice he's saying, I'm like that Olympic runner. I'm running the race in a certain way, and I've got a reward that is waiting for me. In fact, the judgment seat of Christ, that's where he gives rewards to believers. The judgment seat of Christ is actually the same name as the Olympic judges. It's the Bema seat. It's where they hand out the, the, the awards, and he's saying, look, our rewards are so much greater than what they win in the Olympics. I think they would win, and they're pretty good, actually. No taxes for life, free tuition, and you get some type of wild celery garland uh, thing to wear on your head. So that's not bad. Not bad at all. But Paul is actually saying what you're going to get with Christ if you run the race right, if you just run this race and endure to the end and run it right, your reward is going to be so much greater. Like your reward is beyond anything they can temporarily achieve in this world. And so he's trying to make us understand what this race is all about. Philippians 3, 13 and 14, he says, Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do is I forget what is behind and I strain toward what is ahead. You hear the strain? This is, uh, he's, he's using an analogy again of an Olympic athlete. I see toward what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which Christ has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. You see that everything he talks about with faith is treat it like you're an Olympic athlete. Now I know that's hard. You may have picked up a donut on the way to church here. But I'm going to try to get you to start thinking spiritually like an Olympic well-trained athlete thinks for a race. Because he said if we could just finish the race and we can go before that judgment seat of Christ, we have a lot of rewards waiting for us. But here's also the implication. If he's saying stay focused on the race, if he's saying endure to the end, If he's saying the race is the great analogy and you have a reward at the end, doesn't that also implicate that I can quit? Why would he have to encourage me to move forward and persevere and go to the end unless there are a lot of people that aren't making it to the end? That are stopping somewhere along the way for whatever reason. It may be sin, it may be it's too hard, or maybe their eyes like Demas... Uh, having loved this present world, took his eyes off of the goal and the prize, which is Christ Jesus, and thinking heavenward is what it said. So we've got to be really careful. We've got to figure out what Paul's trying to say here about this race. And so the first thing I wrote down here is, are you in the running? Because he said, and this is really funny the way he says it, Do you not know, in 1 Corinthians 9, 24, do you not know that in a race, all the runners run? So what's he saying? If you're not running, you're not in the race. So there are some people that are just spectators. Some people that are just watching the people run, they're not actually in the race. And so we've got to figure out what's it mean to be in the race. And, and the race is actually having faith in Christ. It's having enough nerve to stand up and say, I'm going to live for Christ. I'm going to devote my life to Christ. I'm going to go to church and worship. I'm going to actually read my Bible. I'm going to look at my life and figure out what in my life can be better so I can press and I can strain and I can move toward the high calling, which is Christ Jesus, and I can receive an inheritance that lasts forever. But there are some people that will not run. In another place, Paul says, I want to run in such a way that I don't tell other people about the gospel, and then I myself become disqualified. You know, you can become disqualified. You can be one of those people that's out there telling everybody about the Lord, but be disqualified yourself. You say, well, how is that possible? That's because you're not running the race right. Uh, Ben Johnson, I don't know if you remember Ben Johnson. 
maybe the greatest 100-meter race I've ever seen. Beat Carl Lewis, who was the fastest man in the world at that time. And uh, Ben Johnson came out of nowhere. I mean, he just, uh, all of a sudden, there's Ben Johnson, and he's the world record holder. And later it was found out, in fact, uh, maybe you could tell a little bit by looking at the way Ben Johnson looked. I mean, he was, you know, very thick and fast. And so it found out that he was heavily doping. You know, steroids were really heavy in his system. And so everything that he did was qualified. All the names, all the records, everything in the book was disqualified because he ran the race in such a way that he was disqualified. And so God wants us to be careful not only to be in the race, but to really be focused on what the goal of the race is. The goal of the race is not to look beautiful. You know, not, the goal of the race is not to everybody look at you and say, man, he looks fast. You know, he looks like he'd be a good runner. The case in this particular case is to finish. For me to finish. You know, I want to finish the race to the very end. So why would I do something to make myself look good and run my mouth all the time and not finish the race myself? The goal is to finish this race. So we need to be focused on ourselves finishing this race. Number two, he says in uh, Hebrews 12 there, Therefore, we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Let us throw everything that hinders the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. So now the race changes. Now I can't think of it as 100 meters, which I shouldn't have anyway because of the word perseverance. When I seen perseverance, it automatically changed from 100 meters. I mean, no, there's not a lot of perseverance in 100 meters. Okay? Usually not persevering. You're usually like, it's over. Who won? Some people live the Christian life um, like it's a sprint. Like, I'm going to be really fast, I'm going to do everything, and they burn out quickly, and they never really understood the kind of race they were running. They weren't doing it for life. It was a temporary race. And so we've got to know it's an endurance race, but then he says, run the race that's marked out for us. So that word means to, and in fact, some of your versions say, laid aside for us. Anybody ever been in a race where somebody prepared what was in front of you in advance? Because if you're on an empty track, there's no preparation, right? There's just a track, you run around it four times, you ran a mile, run around one time, you run 400 meters, run around twice, it's 800. There's no preparing the track, right? Steeplechase, maybe that's a little closer. They're jumping over things, landing in water, I don't even know what that's all about. (laughs) <laughs> I don't. I really don't. I'm not built for steeplechase, as you can imagine. So I've never studied the intricacies of it. But um, this is a race that's specifically laid out for each person. God is the one that lays out the race. It's life, Right? And so when we think about this race, we think about something more like an obstacle course. Challenges. How many think that sounds more like the race? There's challenges that we have to meet in this race. Some of you have seen the Tough Mudder competitions or an obstacle course. Or you see all these different things where it actually, the race was laid out. I mean, I think it'd be fun to lay out a race like that. Like, yeah, yeah, okay, we're going to put a net here. Net's going to be about 24 inches high. We're going to muddy it all up with the holes. And we're going to make it where you can't even hardly crawl in it. And by the time you get out of that, we're going to be so muddy, they're going to hate us. And, and, and do you see this? Or they're going to have this big wall. And you're going to be capable of climbing it, but it's going to be really hard. In fact, some people may have to have help to get up that wall. 
Because this wall is going to be like the ultimate test of their endurance. See if they can get up this wall. And in some places, like you'll see, like the military, they'll have a wall where they know everybody can't get over that wall. They know that they can't get up that wall the first time, second time, third time. And so what are they doing? They're trying to test endurance. See if they'll ever get over that wall. And so that's more of what I see with the faith race. Something that we have to complete, but it's specially laid out for every person. Along the way, there's all kinds of temptations. There's all kinds of obstacles. There's all kinds of things to overcome. And each one of us, it's totally different. How many know that? It's totally different for all of us. And so we're trying to figure out how am I going to endure to the end of this race? What I can't do is stop. What I can't do is say the obstacle is too great. I'm done. I'm not going to do this. It's too hard for me. I'm too discouraged. I'm too down. And this is why Hebrews chapter 12 was written. Because this group of people had been under such pressure for the life that they were living that they were ready to give up. In fact, go back to Hebrews chapter 10. We'll look at some context here for chapter 12. Everybody knows chapter 11. That's the hall of faith. That's the list of all the great people in the past that had had faith throughout their life. And they actually, think of it this way. The faith chapter is showing you the ones who have completed that course. Think of it that way. They've completed the course. But before he writes Hebrews 11, where it talks about everything that every person of faith had ever done. In fact, let me read that real fast before I read 10. Now now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith we understand the universe was formed at God's command. So that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. By faith... Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain. By faith, he was commended as a righteous man. When God spoke well of his offerings, and by faith, at this, he still speaks, even though he's dead. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him, taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to Him must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. So he goes through the rest of that chapter just talking about all the great people of the Bible that completed this course. And you see, Paul was saying, I'm at the end of my life, I completed my course. On his course, you look at some of the things that he went through to get to the end of his course, pretty heavy duty. And so he's, you know, Paul went through stonings and shipwrecks and jailings, and he he went through a very difficult course that very few people have ever had to go through. And uh, he was maimed pretty heavily by the time, you know, he finished his course. And so he's trying to encourage us to do the same thing. In chapter 10, here's what they're dealing with and why he writes the faith chapter and why he writes chapter 12. He says in, uh, in, in chapter 10, Verse 32, he says, Remember those earlier days after you received the light. Stop. Do you remember those early days? When you started the course? When you started the race? When you began to walk with the Lord? Do you remember those early days? Remember when you were excited and you began that course and man, you hadn't hit that first obstacle yet on the Tough Mudder course? And it was like, oh, well, this isn't so bad. I just got to jump over this. Jump over it, and you're like, man. And that little bit of narcissism creeps in. and You're like, I'm pretty good at this. It's easy. Who says faith is hard? You get a little bit of resistance, and they laugh a little, and they say, oh, you're a Christian now. And you're like, man, I'm so strong. I'm so strong in the Lord. I mean, remember those days. Am I the only one? And then, man, one of the specially prepared obstacles on the course 
dude was dousing it with water in a hose. Put the net down real low, and you're like, oh, no. I'm slightly claustrophobic. Don't like water. I don't know about this one. You get down on your knees, and the next thing you know, you're rolling in mud. you got a little in your mouth. And you're like, is faith really worth it? Is it really worth it? Everybody else is not going through what I'm going through. Is it worth it? How many have ever been there? And God gives you something that's really hard to get through, and you don't think you can get through it. That's what this is all about. Hebrews 10, 11, and 12 is about that. I've hit the part of the course that I personally can't handle. You say, well, why, why would God lay that out for me? Because you were so strong in the first one. You were so narcissistic in the second one. And God really wants to develop you as a person of God. And so in order to do that, He gives you things that are really easy to accomplish. He doesn't. In fact, you go to one of those Olympic training camps that Paul was looking at, and I'll guarantee you it's the same then as it is now. The ones that do the best are the ones that train the hardest. You say, no, no, my training club's great. We barely break a sweat. We never challenge ourselves with heavier weights. We never do anything harsh in our training. It's all about positive reinforcement. We just pat ourselves and perspire, but we don't really sweat. Right? And you wouldn't give a nickel for that training club, would you? Then why do we go in our churches and say, well... He gives us a good, positive reinforcement every week. But He don't do anything to make us change or get stronger or get better. You better he better never say anything about that in my life to me. I wouldn't give a nickel for that training club. We need to be training for the course that is set before us. we got to discipline ourselves like Paul was watching these Olympic athletes and the way that they trained. And he said, this is the race that is set before you. And your race isn't the same as mine. The next thing I notice about this, and I pointed it out when I was reading the scripture, is everything was plural. Which is interesting. Because normally we think about this race, we picture ourselves in the 100 meters, and it's a sprint, and I'm against everybody else, and i got to win. But Paul says, chapter 12, oh boy, I got way ahead of myself. That's a good point. I'm going to hold off on that point. All right? I didn't finish 10. 10.32 says, remember those earlier days after you received the light, when you stood your ground in a great contest in the face of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insults, and persecution, and at other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You sympathized with those in prison. You joyfully accepted, get this, the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had a better and a lasting possession. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what He has promised for you. For in just a little while, He is coming, will come, and He will not delay. But my righteous one will live by faith, and if He shrinks back, I will not be pleased with Him. you hear me? you see that? Their property was being confiscated, and you're like, so what? Because it's not your property. What if it comes to that in our country? Look back at recent history. Nations that accepted socialism, they had their property confiscated. And that kind of uh, persecution is coming to America. I don't know if it will get to the point of confiscation of property, but it might. I don't know what direction it will go, but these people had been through a lot. Everybody in this room who's been with the Lord for a little while, we've been through a lot, haven't we? We've been persecuted. We went through difficult times. We went through hard times. We went without money. We went, we went without a lot of things. 
You know, we've uh, persevered to live for God through everything. These people had been through a lot, but here's what's amazing. These people had went through all that, and he still finds it necessary to tell them not to give up, not to shrink back. And he said, if you shrink back and you don't keep going forward, I will not be pleased with you. And he said, my reward is with me. Continue forward so you can receive the reward for your sacrifices. Now, why would he say that unless there was a chance you could totally not receive the reward? Why would he say that? Some, somebody will come up and say, well, you know, it's all, you know, once saved, always saved. And, and no matter what, it's all going to work out at the end. You're going to get, why is he warning me then? Let's have a little common sense. Why is he warning us that the reward is there? Don't give up unless we could give up and lose our reward. Why would he say finish to the end and persevere, unless we could quit and not persevere to the end? And why would he give multiple examples of people that did persevere and did quit, unless we could? And so he's saying, to a group of people that had lost their property, been persecuted, been through a lot of things, he said, okay, Now I'm going to begin to explain to you how to deal with this and how to persevere and how to stay close to the Lord and not give up and not shrink back. How many want to know how to do that? So then he says, now faith, he begins to go through every mighty person of faith and how they didn't shrink back. How they didn't give up. How they went through all manner of things and you say, well man, it's easy for them. They're Bible characters. They knew they were Bible characters. They knew that they would be immortalized in the Scripture. That's why they did No, they're in the Scripture because of the way they behaved. They weren't knowing in advance that they were, you know, yeah, I'm going to be uh, the latter part of Genesis. Genesis 12 will start with my story. So I, as Abram, had better behave well because they're taking notes of everything that I do. I like that. He's in Genesis chapter 12 because he reacted different to everybody else in the world at that time. And God seen his behavior and counted it to him for righteousness. His faith, his faith before God, God accounted it for righteousness. And so he begins to show all the different people who did that. And I'll take even a small one. Gideon is in that faith chapter Said, well, man, wasn't he kind of a coward? He was. He was kind of hiding when God came, and he was shivering, and he was like, "Oh, I don't want to do anything." And the angel walks in and says, "Hello, mighty man of valor, (laughs) mighty man of courage." And he was like, "Me?" God raised him up, and he stood up for the enemy. So a big deal, he was a Bible character. No, it was a big deal because they could have killed him on the spot. How many here would be willing to stand up in the face of death and face enemies that are much, much, much stronger than what they, they were? And say, man, these people were people of faith. They stood up against, I mean, David was standing up to enemies that outnumbered him 100 to 1. He was standing up to enemies that were three times his size. And God's trying to tell us, look at the courage of the people that are right around you. Okay, look at their courage and do not give up. Do not shrink back. You're of the same stock that they are. I know you feel like giving up. I know that you feel like you're battered. I know you feel like you're alone. I know you feel like you're nobody. But God's telling you this morning, this message is for you. Mighty man of valor, mighty woman of valor, stand up and do not give up. God's telling you this morning, this is our bloodline. This is our stock. We were born to be this way. We don't back down. We don't give up. We don't shrink back. We're not of that type of people. We're people of faith who stand up. We don't back down. We might fail, but we're right back at you. We don't give up. We're like a great Olympic athlete. How many have ever watched a great Olympic athlete and their heart is what separates the great ones from the not so great ones? 
And God's saying, you have a heart like these people. You've got to see yourself as a person of faith and finish the race that is set before you, not somebody else. The message that's set before you. And he said, the first thing I want you to notice, the first thing that he says in chapter 12, so they're all discouraged. They'd all been through great things. They'd all been standing for God their whole life. Now they're in danger of giving up. So he shows examples of all the people that didn't give up and persevered to the end. And then 12 comes along where I just read. And he says, therefore. I told you it was a packed word. Therefore, because you've been through so much, and now you're about to give up, and here's what all the people of faith were like before you. Therefore, since we, plural, are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off every weight that hinders and sin that so easily entangles us, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. First thing he wants you to notice is there's a crowd of people there. So who's the crowd? Are they something that's creepy? I can't make a case that anybody's watching anybody from heaven. But I can go back to chapter 11, look at verse 4 that I just read, and it says, By faith, Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain. By faith, he was commended as a righteous man when God spoke well of his offerings. And also, by faith, he still speaks, even though he was dead. He's speaking for every one of these people of faith. They're speaking to us. I don't know if you've ever been in an athletic event, but if you're in a basketball game or you're in a boxing match, you hear voices. You hear voices. You hear relatives that are saying, you're in a boxing match, you hear relatives or teammates, get him, get him, get him, catch him, don't give, don't quit, don't quit, don't quit. You're getting tired, you're taking a few punches, and they're, don't quit, don't quit. You hear them in the crowd and they're yelling and they're saying, don't quit, don't quit, don't quit. And these people are yelling loud and clear and some of you won't even open your Bible. Noah, he begins to talk about Noah. Noah built a boat and it never rained. He'd never seen a flood. And Noah is speaking today. Even though he's dead, he's crying out. He's in the crowd. He's saying, I didn't give up. The entire stinking world was against me. Everybody was against me. I was building a boat. I was mocked. I was teased. It was, it was a shameful thing. But I didn't give up. Don't give up. Don't give up. Don't give up. And if you're reading the Bible and you don't hear those voices in the crowd, you're reading it wrong. You're reading the Bible wrong. Abraham, I can hear his voice in the crowd. Do you hear him? When you read the Bible, do you hear his voice? Do you personalize that word? He's saying, don't give up. Don't give up. I left my country. I was abandoned. I was alone. I left. I heard the voice of God. I was going to a place whose builder and maker was God. I trusted him. Everybody else in my family didn't trust God. But I did. I heard his voice. God blessed me beyond anything. Don't give up. Don't you give up. Don't give up. So he connects the cloud of witnesses with the ones who were speaking in the previous chapter. And so there's a crowd around you. And I know Paul, what he sees. He sees the arena. And he sees the runners because when they would start the race, that's where the whole crowd was around them. They would finish the race, the whole crowd was And so you could hear everybody in the stands cheering the name. Go, go, go. Loudest one, important the parts where it's critical, the parts when it looks like we're about to lose. Hear those voices. You open up your word one day. begin to see Paul speaking about perseverance. Don't you dare give up. You keep fighting. Keep fighting. You keep fighting. Man, that don't move me. It doesn't move me. I don't know this. And I understand that. But there are other people. Some of 
sometimes you hear your son's voice. Sometimes you hear your daughter's voice. Don't give up. Don't give up. You say, well, my daughter doesn't say that or my son doesn't say that. They're dying. Some are addicted. Some are away from God. And their soul is crying out, don't you give up. Don't you give up on me. Don't you give up on me. You hear your mom's voice. You hear your dad's voice. You hear your grandma's voice. Your grandpa's voice. Some are on the other side and they're saying, don't give up. Don't give up. Don't give up. Don't give up. Some are saying, you've got to make it through this. You've got to make it through this. Some are saying, make it through because I'm not me. I need your help. I need your strength. I need somebody, somebody to help me. And he, and, and he says, in the arena. Then you look straight ahead and you say, man. Some people, he said, run the race aimlessly. Or they just shadow box. Saying, well, what kind of race do you have if you're aimless? You don't have a finish line. Don't have a finish line. And you know, I read an interesting story. It was about a missionary and his wife, and they had uh, served in Africa, and they were really beaten. They were maimed and beaten up and scarred and went without and sacrificed. They were on a ship coming back to back to America, back home to visit family for a period of time and they were going to go back to the mission field. They were exhausted. They were worn out. They'd given everything they had and they just happened to be on the same ship with the President of the United States, Teddy Roosevelt. And he had been on a hunting trip in Africa. And as you can imagine, everything that Teddy Roosevelt did on that ship, everybody wanted to know. He was treated like royalty. Everything he did was covered in the press. Everywhere that he went, they clapped. The room would clap. Everybody would honor him and acknowledge him. And finally, the man, who was a humble man, he just, in his heart, he just thought, he was discouraged and he was said, God, why is it like this? I don't understand why it's like this. And we've given everything we have, Lord. Given all that we have, we're beaten up, we're worn out. Why does the trip go? They clap for him. And when they finally he he just kind of had getting gotten a little angry. You can understand. And they finally got back to the United States, and as he got off the boat, the people just celebrated. Teddy Roosevelt you know, came home from a camp, or hunting trip in Africa. His wife said, uh, he told his wife, and he, she said, you just need to really pray about it. You need to pray about it. Pray about it. And sometimes we're like that man. We see other people receiving honors in this world and we're sacrificing for God and we're saying, man, God, where's my reward? And he's saying here, my reward is coming. Don't forget about the reward that I have for you that's eternal and the riches that I have in store for you and the things that you know I have in store for those who love me and diligently seek, diligently seek me and wait for my coming. And we lose sight of that, don't we? This missionary... What they were doing for Teddy Roosevelt is it pales in comparison to the reception that that couple was going to receive in a short time. And God began to speak to him, and God said, "Teddy Roosevelt came home. You're not home yet." And we heard that in the week. In the week, he said, "That's not." And the Bible says that the celebration, the Bible says in heaven, when we enter into heaven, that there will be a celebration like we have never, ever, ever begun to see. I read another story, it's interesting, about a little girl that had been blind to the age of 10. 
And they'd always tried really hard to explain to her what things looked like. You know, but how do you explain, you know, a beautiful flower to a girl that's never seen? How do you explain what it looks like when snow covers everything? What do you, how do you explain how a sunset looks like? How do you explain the beautiful things that are in the world to somebody who's never seen? And that's what God is trying to make us understand. There are things, um, I read a lot of stories this week, but one I was reading was Marco Polo. And don't keep repeating that phrase. Okay, please. But <laughs> he, uh, he had an interesting life. And he had been all over the world. I mean, he and his trades and his exploring. He ended up with Kublis Khan um, in the middle of China, and he became a soldier in the Imperial Army with uh, Khan. And uh, he's seen things in that empire that nobody had ever seen in Europe. This is the 1300s, and I mean, he's seen things that uh, he was the first Italian to ever eat pasta. Like hundreds of years before anybody else had ever eaten pasta because China had it. And he was trying to explain to him, this is what it tastes like. It's very different and it's great. And, you know, he'd seen things that they were doing in China. Some of their uh, buildings that they had built dwarfed anything that was in Europe. There was inventions that they had like gunpowder that wouldn't come for another several hundred years. Uh, there was things that he'd seen that nobody had ever seen before. So when he came back, he was telling all these stories of all, like, like just something simple like, like a piece of coal. Nobody had ever seen a piece of coal burnt that time. I was surprised. So he was explaining these little black rocks that you could burn and they would burn for a long, long time. And they were like, and eventually nobody believed him. Nobody believed his stories. They were like, he's a liar. He lies all the time. Why does he lie so much? And so on his deathbed, everybody just kept telling him to recant his stories because they were so incredible as stories, nobody believed him. Even his priest had been brought to him on his deathbed to get him to recant all of his lies. And nobody believed him. And his book came out later, and everybody was like, wow, the things that he's seen. But on his deathbed, nobody believed him. So the last, one of the last things that he said on his deathbed was, somebody had came and they said, tell me the stories again. Because he wanted to hear them. And he said, you don't know the half of what I've seen. You don't know the half of what I've seen. And he was actually right. He'd seen things that nobody had seen in Europe. And you know what? You haven't seen the half of what God's going to show us. He created the world in seven days but he's been preparing a place for us for 2,000 years. What's that place going to be like? And one of the people that's in the crowd of witnesses is Jesus at a finish line. And he's saying, all you have to do is make it to me. All you have to do is keep persevering and moving forward, and my reward is with me. My reward, the meek shall inherit the earth. I would like to inherit the earth. How would you like to go into a lawyer's office and say, here's the deed, you've inherited the earth? We look at that scripture like, oh, no big deal. But we should look at it like, me? I've been poor my whole life. I'll guarantee you in a third world country, they're looking at that inherit the earth, and they're like, get me in some of that. I wouldn't mind that. And God has these incredible rewards for us if we persevere and we don't give up. I'm sorry, I'm going to run long. You think if I don't have time to prepare, I don't go long. Second thing he says, remove all the weight, what time is it? Oh wow, 12, 12. Remove all the weight that easily entangles you and weighs you down. Remember I talked a few weeks ago about weight that God intend, didn't intend for you to carry? Talking about the yoke on your back. He started noticing these Olympic athletes, you know they pay a lot of money for shoes. You get the best, the most lightweight. The aerodynamic clothing that they wear is very expensive. And he's saying, if an Olympic athlete does that, and that's one of the things I want you to do is learn 
get all the weight off of you that's holding you back from this goal of reaching God. Sometimes it's sin. Sometimes it's things that we got our eyes so far off of getting to see the Lord and persevering in our faith that we get sidetracked. How many think we get sidetracked with good things sometimes? And we lose focus of what the goal is. The goal is to reach, reach heaven. The goal is to reach our inheritance, to reach our reward. And sometimes we get so focused on things that aren't even bad things. And it takes our eyes off of God. Sometimes sins, you know, we, we run into this obstacle and it's like, can't get over it. I can't get over it. I can't get over it. And it's like, I'll give up. And then all of a sudden, we're running the race. Us. We. I'm not alone. So I've got all these people that should be circling back and saying, hey man, that obstacle is anger, bitterness, uh, rage. Well man, I had to go over that obstacle. And all of a sudden you hear the words screaming at you. You hear people around you in your church are saying, hey, I had to go through that. Sexual immorality, fornication, adultery, homosexuality. All of a sudden you people see around you saying, hey, I had to go over that. Let me help you. But I failed so many times. You can get over it. I'll help you get over it. No, no, no. I just want to avoid it. I just want to shrink away. I want to back away. And I'm going to trip over this. Okay. You're waiting for it, I know. <laughs> we can't shrink back. It's there. We're going to go over it. What if I fail? You have grace. Did you understand life is going to have obstacles and somebody might be in that mud pit rolling around trying to get through it and you're like, oh man, stinks to be you. But you remember when you were there. Hopefully we're not so proud that we don't remember when we were in the mire and the mud and we were all soiled and we were like, man, I remember. And so we are running this race together. We are running this race together. Addiction is there. One thing I've learned is if we're running the race alone, we can't make it, and the people that are running it can't make it. Addiction is such a big obstacle that if we're not in in this together to help ourselves and other people, we won't get over that obstacle. He's saying we are together helping each other get over these obstacles. And the last thing is, is fix your eyes, your gaze on Jesus Christ, the author and the finisher of our faith. We have to fix our eyes on Jesus because he was the author of our faith, was the finisher of our faith. Stand your feet, please. I had no idea I went that long. The notes usually give me a little bit of an indication how long I've went, but I apologize. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I just pray today, Lord God, if there are those who feel like giving up, Lord God, Father, I pray that you would open their spiritual ears, Lord. Oh, that they would hear every saint that ever lived in this word, Lord God. Speaking, even though they're dead, Lord, they're speaking loud and clear. Do not give up, Lord. Let them hear, Lord God, the word. It gives encouragement, courage, power, strength. Lord, the Word tells us that there's no enemy that can stand before us. There's no sin that can separate us from your love. Lord, there's no enemy that can defeat us, Lord. Lord, I just pray that their ears would be open today, Lord God. Father, that you would pour courage into the hearts, Lord. Father, that they would uh, be mindful, Lord, of those who are around us, who are watching our fight and our walk, Lord. Lord, let them hear their voices too, Lord. Let them hear their brother, their sister, sons, daughters. Lord, let us be sensitive to our lives, Lord God. In your name we pray. Amen. If you leave your eyes closed, I just want to ask you today, you've never given your heart to the Lord, I need to pray with you today. If you are eager to run the race, right now you're not even in the running if you're not right with the Lord. You're not in the running for a reward. You're not in the running for heaven. You're not in the running for anything. You're disqualified. You can only watch. 
And God says, uh, if you will confess your sins, accept Jesus as the Lord of your life, I'll be faithful to forgive you, and you'll be in the race. And all you have to do is finish. All you have to do is endure. All you have to do is stay focused on Him, walk with Him. If you've never done that, this is your day. You need to find me sometime this morning. We can do it privately. We can do it in front of everybody. But you need to find a time when I can pray with you and lead you in a sinner's prayer. Commit your life to Christ. Maybe today you've lost focus. You've lost focus. I want you to make an altar at your seat. You make an altar up here. We'll pray with you if you need prayer. You've lost focus. Or maybe you've felt like giving up lately. Maybe you're like the people in Hebrews that he's writing to here, that I feel battered, I feel beaten, I've got on one of these obstacles, and I can't seem to get over it. Maybe it's financial, maybe it's relationships, maybe it's loneliness, I don't know what it is. But you're stuck on one of these obstacles, and God wouldn't have put it there unless you could come over it. His grace is going to carry you through this course. His faith is enough. He said his, your faith in Christ is enough to get over every obstacle in your life. So I'm going to open up the altar. If anybody needs prayer, we're here for you today. Praise the Lord.